Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Amen, amen. Well, if you've been week with us, you know that this is week 10. We've been spending 10 weeks in Romans chapter 5 through 8. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and take it out, whether it's a paper Bible or a digital Bible. I have both. And we're going to look together to Romans uh, chapter 8. This is the latter part of that chapter. And we're going to start at verse 31. And in this section, the, the Apostle Paul, he begins with a question because great leaders ask great questions. Have you ever had somebody ask you this great question and it just really challenged you and got you thinking? Those are the people that you go to because we know that great leaders, they ask great questions because these questions, they cause us to think. See, the art of the question, it's one of the most powerful tools that we have. And a lot of times we struggle at getting the answers that we're looking for in life because we're asking the wrong questions. Have you ever been there? Have you ever asked a question and someone said, man, you're asking the wrong question. This is not going to lead you in the right path. If you see a fish flopping over on the side, okay, fishermen, restrain yourself. But if you saw the fish and you had a heart for the fish to be brought back to life rather than being in your frying pan, you wouldn't go to that fish and say, can I get some oxygen for you and pump it in? That's the wrong question, isn't it? The better question is saying, how can I get this fish back in water where it can come alive? See, one is going to bring more death to it. The other one is going to bring life to it. And depending on whether you're a friend or foe of the fish, I guess that depends on what you do. But it all comes down to having that right question. And this is what Paul is doing. See, we are often on information overload through the power of Google, which I love. We can get lots of information. But today, Paul, he's trying to point us. He's trying to direct us. And he's using this powerful tool of the question. So let's follow along together. We're in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And Paul starts off by saying, and this is a great question, he says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Then he asks a great question. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or we're hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or even threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Amen? And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever, ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And that's all you need today. We can head right to the food truck right now. 
But we know this. We see this. Those of us who are followers of Christ, we know this. I was told this from a young age. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, but there are times that I've struggled. Are you with me in that? There's times that I've struggled to going through. And today, I believe the Lord wants us to hear this. He wants us to know this. He wants us to walk in this because this is the power that is afforded to us if we will just reach out. So if you're ready to receive that word just as a sign of surrender, would you just hold your palms up to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ready to receive from you today. Just speak that to the Lord. Lord, I'm ready to receive from you today your power, your word for this moment. As we head into this Seattle summer of 2019, Lord, we want to be empowered by you. Help us to realize and to know that nothing can ever separate us from your love. So, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my God, my rock, my redeemer. Speak to us now, we pray. And everyone said together, amen. amen. So as we look at this passage, we're going to start off with our, with our first point today, which is the power of a question. See, the questions are a powerful tool because questions are the beginning of learning and they're the beginning of growing. And Paul often uses this strategy through because Jesus used this strategy throughout his ministry to where he would start a powerful conversation with a powerful question because he's a powerful leader. I love that ancient Chinese proverb that says that he who asks a question remains a fool for five minutes. He who does not ask remains a fool forever. Have you heard that before? He who asks a question remains a fool for just five minutes depending on who you're talking to. But the person that never asks a question remains a fool for their entire life. See, Jesus even, Jesus told us this. Jesus said that what? He said, ask, and it will be given to you in Matthew 7, 7. And then in Matthew 21, he said to ask in prayer. We see this thread and this path where the Lord is telling us to be asking, be asking, be asking questions. And here in this section, the Apostle Paul, he starts with two key questions. And the first question that he asks us, he says, what shall we say about these things? And if you've been here now for 10 weeks, you know what these things are. Remember all the things we've been talking about? Paul is pointing us back to what he just talked about. And over the last 10 weeks, we've been talking about peace with God, alive in Christ. We're dead to sin. God has made us righteous. God has released us from the law. God has empowered us by the Spirit. And now we are adopted heirs. We are children of God. And in all that, God works everything to our good. What shall we say about that? That is powerful. That is life-changing. That's the God that we serve. So Paul's saying, do you remember everything I've said to you? Do you remember everything that's been spoken to you? Think about that. What are you going to say about that? And then he goes into that second question. And the question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? So what shall we say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And this is a two-part rhetorical question that's been built up on a lot of preaching that's been going on. And Paul, in answering this question, it's a rhetorical question, but the first part says, if God is for us. And the first part of the question, it begins with a contingency. It begins with the word if. Now, when I was a kid, I paid a lot of attention to that word if. Just two little letters, right? Because when my parents said if, it was sometimes proceeded by something good, Right? Little Dwayne, if you do something, if you, if you do this, if you clean up your room, if you dust this off, if you stop being mean to your sister, then we can do this. Sometimes it was preceded by, if you do this, then you're going to get it. <laughs> 
But either way, I paid attention to if. And Paul here, he's put this contingency out there. It means that there's a responsibility on our part. See, who is God for? God is for his children. See, if God is for us, what Paul is pointing to is the fact that we just talked about how we are all adopted children of God. So who God is for? God is for his children. Now, it's important in this that we need to recognize that God invites everyone to be his children, but he forces no man or no woman. We know that, right? So everyone's invited. He wants to adopt everybody, but because he loves us, love is not forced, love is not coerced, but he invites everyone. So because this is the case, God being for us, we're talking about those that they've received the love of God. They've accepted the gift of salvation, and now they have joined God in his mission. They are on the family plan. Because, see, God is for us, but God is not for my sin. Because he knows that sin will destroy me. Sin will pull me away from God. So he's not for everything. He's not for my sin, and God is not for my rejection, and he's not for my rebellion. Because those things destroy me, and they eventually destroy those that are around me because we're all connected in community. God is not for that. See, when we're talking about if God is for me, we're talking about how God is for us becoming his child. Because when I do this, now I am an heir of God who owns everything, and I am on his mission. See, God is for this. This is the gospel. You remember the gospel? The gospel is what? God made me. He made all of you. And I say this every time. This is a room full of masterpieces. Seattle, the world, his masterpieces are everywhere. Humanity. He calls humanity, his creation, masterpieces. He made us, but the problem is we rejected him. I rejected him. But because he loved us, he sent his son to die for us, to die for my sin. To give me an opportunity to be reconciled, to give you an opportunity. And as I receive Jesus, now I am reconnected. I am now an heir. I am adopted back as a child of God, and I am on mission with him. This is the gospel. This is what God is for. See, when we do this, when we receive it, Paul is saying that God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? When you know who God is, and you know that he's for you, who can be against you? See, I'll never forget, there were times that I got in tough problems as a child. I know that's hard to believe, but there were times that I disobeyed my parents. I walked the road that I shouldn't have. And I got in trouble with other people, not my parents, but there were things that started to happen. And I'll never forget one time that I was being chased by a bunch of neighborhood boys because of something that I did. We'll talk later. And I'll never forget when my dad got home. Because when my dad got home, my dad's a very nice, calm man, very wonderful, but he saw a bunch of older boys, some of them 10 years older than me, and my dad walked out, and he, and he took command. And he said, who wants to chase me? They all took off. This was the image I got. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? This is our Father. And see, in Paul saying who can be against us, what Paul is doing, he's using legal language. Because what he's saying, he's saying, if God, who's our judge, is for us, then we have won. When we receive that gift of salvation, there is no longer a case against us. When you come to Christ, there is no longer a case against you. 
Paul is saying that no one can accuse us because there's no longer a record. See, before Christ, I had a record. But when I come to Jesus and I ask forgiveness of my sins, he comes in, he washes it clean, and he cleans it out. He cleans it out. So now when someone comes to me and tries to make an an accusation against me, it is washed away. What Paul is saying, who can be against us? No one. The record is washed. You are a child of the king. No one can accuse me. No one can accuse us. We're standing right with God, and no one can condemn me because Christ has died for me, and he's now pleading with God for me as I continue to walk with him. So when we think about this, if God is for us as an adopted child of the king, who can be against us? What are we going to say about this? Know what I'm going to say? Thank you. Thank you. I don't deserve it. I've done stuff. Jesus had stuff to rub out of my life, to wash through. And there's this sanctification process of walking through. Some things were gone. They're all gone, but there's some things I'm walking through, and Jesus is walking through that path with me. And every step of that journey, my response is, thank you, God. My response will always be thank you. Because, see, God is telling us that where it's gone, no one has a case from you, so you need to walk in it, and now you need to walk in that reality as a child of God. See, we want to keep going back to the past. This is where the enemy tries to bring us to. He tries to bring us to the past, but history is supposed to teach us, not imprison us. You hear what I'm saying? Your history should teach you that you need God, and God is going to cleanse you. He's going to empower you, but your history should never imprison you. That's when we start getting in trouble. See, I am no longer convicted. God has made me new. I am a complete restoration of who God has made me to be. So thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being there every step of the way. Thank you for being here right now. When I walk into tough situations, thank you, God, because you're speaking to me. You're leading me. You're guiding me. That's the power of the question. So we have the power of the question, but followed up from the power of the question, it's immediately followed by the power of challenges. Everyone say challenges. Do you have any challenges in your life? Do you have any trouble in your life? (laughs) Right? I got troubles. You got troubles. All God's children, they got trouble. See, Paul's next question here, it addresses the role of challenges. And here's what he says. He says, does it mean that he no longer loves you if we have trouble or calamity or you're persecuted or you're hungry or you're destitute or you're in danger or you're threatened with death? Paul's hitting everything. Paul, man, back off. I'm a child of the king. I don't have trouble, do I? He's saying, no, you have all these troubles. Paul knew all these troubles. Walking with God, following Jesus. Paul had all of these troubles and I think one of the biggest challenges for us, one of the biggest challenges for me even, is that hard times, they often confuse us because they make us wonder, did I hear God right? Am I going the right way? Is Jesus really with me in this? See, hard times can become very confusing. And I think a lot of times it becomes confusing because the questions that we have in this, they come from how we define success. Do you define your success by trouble and persecution and hard times and all the things that Paul's talking about? I think for most of us, we define success by possessions, the stuff that we have, the things that's in our hand, right? I'm successful, healthy. I'm, I'm, I'm a healthy person. That's something that we desire. So we have that, yeah, I'm successful. We define success by how big our bank account is or if all of our bills are paid or if there's a roof over our head or our family is good, our relations are good, I have good friends in my life. 
Now see, I like these, and I hope that's you. I hope you, that you, all your friends are getting along with you. I hope that in all these areas that things are just going well and we pray for that. But this is not how we define success. Do you know how God defines success? One word. Obedience. One word. Obedience. This is how God defines success. There are times that people will ask me, what does it mean to be successful in following God? Obedience. It says in 1 Samuel, to obey is better than to sacrifice. See, we like to get all of our stuff together and bring it to God and say, Jesus, do you love me? Is this all good? And I've even talked to people who are exploring Christ and walking through, and a common thing that I'll hear is like, let me get all my stuff together, let me kind of work the stuff out, and then I'll come to Jesus. And I'm like, no, you'll never get there. We come to Jesus, we surrender to him, and he works everything out in our life. Because obedience is success to God. This is how he measures it. See, obedience is evidence that I've aligned my life with God. Obedience is the evidence that I'm hearing and I'm following his voice. Obedience, it places us in the position of God being for us and that we are with his plan. Because reality is, you can hear God perfectly and end up in a place that you never thought you would be and things not all go well. I'm going to say that again. You can hear God perfectly and things not go the way you thought it would. How many have experienced that? See, when we follow God, he brings us on mission with him because we're going after God's mission. And Jesus even told us, Jesus told us, and he said it this way, he said the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. See, the path that Satan lays out for us, it's broad and it's straight. It's right there in front of you. Just walk, go anywhere. But when I'm following Jesus, it can be very difficult. It's hills, it's valleys, it's all this stuff. It's like sometimes you're on a bad marathon. It's hard at times. But see, sometimes in my life I know that I'll hear God telling me to go from one to two, and I'm like, I got it, God, I'm going to go to two. But then God says, have you ever heard of 1.1? You ever heard of 1.2? You ever heard of 1.3? And sometimes between 1 and 2 where God is bringing us, there's a whole litany of things going on. Have you discovered that before? Right? It's like when my mom used to give me like a quarter to go to the grocery store. I don't feel like I'm that old, but when I, as a little kid, a quarter, I could still buy a candy bar with it. And we had great candy growing up in Canada, so... Even though it was about a quarter mile from my house to the store, there was a lot of opportunity to go off the track. And I lived in a one-street town. There's lots of opportunity to go off the track. When God tells you to go somewhere, we need to be intently listening to his voice every step of the way. Because it's on the journey that we're built, but it's also on the journey that we often miss it. We say, God, Why did you bring this across my path? Why is this here? Why are you here? See, when God tells us to go down to California, we go, great, I'm going to hit I-5 and I'm going to sail through. But sometimes God says, I want you doing Highway 101. I want you to get behind that whole line of RVers that are going 10 miles an hour. No offense to the RVers. I'd love to be one. But that's a different journey, isn't it? It's a very different journey. We know the dangers of assuming. 
Most of the challenges that have come in my way have been when I've assumed things. See, God tell, is telling you to move and he's telling you to go, but he's saying, don't forget my voice along the way. There's a lot that's going to happen along the way. And if obedience is not enough for us, we will begin to doubt God's voice and his plan in our life. If obedience is not enough success for you, you're going to begin to doubt God's voice in your life. Lord, I've been obedient with my kids, but they're not doing what I told them. I'm going to try something else. Do your kids always do what you tell them? Do you know that you're God's kid and you don't always do what God tells you to do? (laughs) I'm God's kid. But what's the thing that you're going after for your children or for those you teach or your nieces or your nephews? You know that, that obedience. When you don't understand, obedience is success. It's aligning yourself with God. It's putting you in that position of just hearing God. When you're walking with a teacher, with a coach, we know that from coaching, if you look at the sports analogy, the more that you listen to a coach, the more that you know the voice of a coach, and the more that you can even begin to predict what that coach is going to say because you're in the path, you know what's going on. It's the same way with our walk with Christ. Obedience, it leads us closer. It doesn't mean he loves us more. It doesn't mean we're more or less saved. It means that we, our lives, are becoming more and more aligned with Christ, and we're seeing it, and we're experiencing that power because God is leading us and empowering us. That's why obedience, period, is success. See, a lot of times we think that God is always rescuing us. I want you to tell you something. If you're a follower of Christ and you surrendered, you've been rescued. Now you're on mission. You've been rescued to be put on mission. Now God is saying, go. It's time to go. I'm with you. I'm going to lead you all the way. And Paul in this, this is why Paul, he's trying to get us to have a clear understanding of the battle. Because if you want to have victory, you need to have a battle. The victory in the battle goes hand in hand. So if you're in a battle and you're a follower of Christ and you're listening, you're being obedient, you need to realize I'm on my way to victory of what God has called me to be. See, Paul has laid it out. There's a battle. There's trouble. There's calamity. There's persecution. There's hunger. You're going to be destitute. You're going to be in danger. And you're going to be threatened to death. Here's my sign-up sheet. Who wants to be a follower of Christ? See, the battle, you, you need it because God is out. He's on, we're on mission with him, but we need to be strengthened. And the battles get us ready because the battle strengthens us. See, it's in the battle that we discover who your friends are. They discover who your partners are in Christ. It, it, in that battle, you discover who God is, and you discover who God has made you to be. But sometimes there's got to be some battle in that. We know that. When you're going through a hard time, you know who your friends are. You know the ones who are calling you. You know the ones who are there. You know the ones who are showing up. And then there's friends that are like, when you got a meal going on, call me. I'll be there for that. That's why we need to be very intentional with our friends. When they're going through a hard time, sometimes the enemy tries to come in and put a wall and says, you know, it would be too awkward for you to ask a question. That would be intruding for you to show up. That would be all these things to show up when we just need to show up and say, I see you in a hard time. I want to be here for you. And if you don't know what to do, which is most times, you just show up and say, I don't know what to do, but I'm, I'm here. How many of you would appreciate that when you're going through a hard time, a friend showing up and saying, I don't know what to do, but I'm here. I love you. I would. It's that walking through it. It's that seeing through it. Seeing what God has for us. See, as children of God, we know from this, because Paul is saying that the battle is ours because God is for us, and that overwhelming victory is ours in Christ. But if we want victory, we need to stay in the arena. We need to stay in the plan. We need to stay in the battle. 
See, the worst case scenario is not the battle. Sometimes we think just having a struggle or just being in a battle, that that's the worst case scenario, but that's not the worst case scenario. Do you know what the worst case scenario is? The worst case scenario is that you give up. Because when you give up, you have left the arena, you have walked away, and Jesus is saying, you stay in the battle, you follow me, overwhelming victory is yours, but you're going to be destitute, you're going to be hungry, there are things going to come up, you're going to be threatened with even death, but I'm with you. Look at what's going to happen in this. Look at how I'm going to be glorified in this. See, giving up is the only way to lose. When you stay in it, God has guaranteed the victory, but you got to stay in it. That's why he says to obey is better than the sacrifice. You don't always understand the call that's coming your way. Why is he calling me to throw the ball? It'd be better to run it. Or why don't I just run it? It'd be better to throw the ball. God's saying, obey. I called you to obey. I see it all. I know what's going on. You need to obey. You need to stay in it. See, we learn this lesson from nature. We know that from nature, struggle is important and it is necessary to grow. One of the things I love about the springtime is we have this little birdhouse that we just kind of put up as a prop right by our door. And every year, there's this family of birds that come in and they nest and they lay eggs and birds come out and they do it. But then this cruel thing happens. The mama bird pushes all those little birds out of the nest. Isn't that cruel? I remember seeing that one time and when we first moved here, one of our younger kids looked down and tried to kind of gather around and say, no, no, no. I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't touch them. Their mom is teaching them something right now. Do you know how birds fly? They're born. The mom and the dad, they feed them. They get them all ready. And then what do they do? They push them out. <laughs> and it seems like cruelty, doesn't it? But that's what gives them strength. That's what enables them to do it. They're born again. Does that sound spiritual? What did Jesus say? You must be born again. We are fed, we are nourished, the word of God is put in us, and then God comes up and he does something we think is cruel and he pushes us out and he says, fly, let your wings go out. Find out why I gave you wings. Your wings weren't just there to keep you warm like a baby bird. They have a purpose. I wish I could fly. You're wishing I don't sing the song right now, I believe I can fly, but I wish I could fly. They discover what it is. And I think for so many of us, God's saying, you're born again, you're a new creation in me. I fed you, I poured into you. I'm gonna push you out in every area of your life because I want you to know that you have power, you have strength that I've given you that you haven't even realized yet. So spread those wings out and feel the breath of my Holy Spirit to empower you and to enable you to fly. I believe God is calling you to be pushed out in areas at work where he wants to use you, but you're so scared to spread your wings. He's going to call you to fly in areas of your home life where there's struggle. And God's pushing you out and said, let those wings go out. In the community as you walk, in the stores that you go to, in all these places, he's given you these wings, but we keep them in because we want to stay so warm. Because it's hard, it's a struggle. And just like those baby birds, those little chicks, they pushed them out, and a lot of times they fell right flat to the ground. And a tendency is to come in and say, no, 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 that was cruel of them. And he's saying, no, no, listen, keep going. And you see them struggle and you see the wings coming out. And all of a sudden, this little bird that was just vulnerable in this little box by my door, now that bird is flying out and comes back next year and starts laying eggs again. It is the most amazing thing. This is how God is speaking to us. 
God's calling us to fly. He's calling us to step out. See, God, he's, he's asked us these powerful questions. What do you say about these things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And then Paul, he's led us to the battle and going, you're going to have some hard times. Does it mean that God doesn't love us? No, he, he loves you. Keep going, keep going. Run to the battle, stay in the battle. Overwhelming victory is yours. And he ends this passage again by coming back to something that Paul keeps coming back to. See, Paul, he keeps coming back to the power of God's love. Everyone say love. Doesn't that feel good? It's the power of God's love. See, we keep coming back to this because we need to be reminded of this. Because when we talk about God's love, we're not talking about something that's just ooey, gushy, emotional, though I love emotion and I'm an artist. So I'm not discounting the emotional, but I'm adding to it and I'm saying there's a power and there's a strength and there's a commitment that comes in God's love. We talked about this last week and the week previous, that when the Bible talks about love, it talks about that commitment, it talks about that strength, it talks about that power. See, God's love is powerful. It is binding when we connect it to it. It is the thing that we need, and God made it impossible for us to be separated from God's love. He came in to reassure us. That's why Paul says this. Paul says, I am convinced I am convinced. And when you know Paul's past, you know there was a lot of convincing that had to take place. Paul was, was the chief persecutor of Christians in that day. And he became convinced. Here's what he says in 38. He says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels, demons, fears for today, worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell. No power in the sky, nothing below us. Nothing can separate us from, Paul, from God's love. One theologian says it this way, that when Paul is talking about this, what Paul is saying, he's saying, I have become and I remain convinced that my conviction, it is rational, it is settled, it is unaltered. I am convinced. What Paul is saying is, when I look at all this evidence, when I consider all that God has done for me, how can I not be convinced of the love of God? No matter what I'm going through. Paul's saying no one and nothing can separate us from God and his love, and that's enough. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to chase hard after God. Nothing can separate us. Paul identifies the physical world, life and death. This tends to be our biggest fear. And Paul's saying, that's not going to separate me. Then Paul heads into the spiritual realm. Angels and demons, they can't separate me from God's love. And then he looks at time, our fears of today and our worries about tomorrow, all those fears. He's like, that's not going to separate me from God's love. God's love is binding. He's got me. He's got my back. He's got my front. He's got my top. He's got below me. He surrounds me. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to march forward in what God has called me to do. And even space. Nothing in the entire universe, nothing in all creation can separate me from God's love. This is what he's calling us to. See, this is the power of God's love. It's the power of staying connected to him. It's the power of, of standing, being firmly planted in his love. Think about a time in your life when you've been so confident, where you felt unshakable. This exceeds that far above anything you can ever ask, hope, and imagine for, that you have placed your feet firmly on the foundation of God's love for us. And then Paul even says, you know what? This is continually revealed in Jesus Christ. Because you're going to forget. I'm going to forget. We all forget. 
We hear about the love of God. We see this, we read it, we study it, we Google it, and then we come in and we hit hard times and Paul is saying, this is not a sign that God doesn't love you anymore. He's preparing you, he's strengthening you. You're a child of the king. God owns everything, follow him, stay with him. Whatever season you're in, God, I'm gonna walk obedient. And firmly place yourself in the love of God that Jesus will continue and continue to reveal to you. See, we need to recognize when we hit hard times, God's the one who's in control. And you're probably like me. Hard times are difficult to understand. When God pushes you out of a nest and he pushes you in this area and you fall flat on your face, you're like, God, what are you doing? He's saying, I'm gonna show you how to get up and fly. When you're flying, you'll be like, thank you, God, for pushing me out of this nest. But right now you're hurting. And I believe today God wants to reaffirm this to you. Say, nothing can separate you from my love. Just stand, walk in obedience to me. I've spoken to you and asked you to do this and you're hesitating. Why are you hesitating? I've guaranteed that overwhelming victory will be yours as you walk it out, as you follow me. Victory the way God explains it, amen? Can we all stand together? We're now coming to what I believe is the most important part because this is where we respond. This is the question Paul said, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? What shall we say about these things? And in this moment of response and reflection, this is a question for yourself. What question is God asking me? And I invite you just to close your eyes so you, you can block out every distraction. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Help us to be more aware of your presence. You have a work to do. There's a question that God's asking you and you need to think about it. You need to write it down. And the second part of that question is, what question are you asking God? What's the, is there a question in your heart that you're asking God? Just verbalize that. Verbalize that. Jesus said, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask. Ask. What challenges and struggles are you facing today? And how, how are you dealing with it? Where are those areas of struggle and obedience with God? Amen. Amen. Father, as we continue to move now, Lord, use us, speak to us, help us to respond in obedience to you. We, we pray. We pray, Lord. In your name. As we respond today, we have prayer team. I'm going to invite them to go over to the side. If you see anybody standing at the, at, at the side and they're just standing like this facing you, they would love to pray for you. We have prayer team members up in the balcony. But you also have prayer people all the way around you. <laughs> Look at the person next to you. Someone that came with you. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer because prayer changes us. Don't leave this place unchanged today. Seek the Lord. We have communion available. Go to the table. This is a reminder of what Jesus did for you. This is a reminder of the overwhelming victory that is yours. The bread that represents his body broken for you. 
and the juice just representing Jesus' blood that was spilt for you. Jesus says, as often as you drink this, as you eat this bread, think of me. Think of me. Answer the question of God today. Ask him your questions. Allow him to transform you so you can spread your wings and experience that breath of God. Amen? Let's continue to worship as we respond to the word of the Lord today.